السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners We resume the study and study of the commentary of the hadith of Ibrahim alayhi salam and his family from Sahih al-Bukhari hadith number 3364 <coughs> this is the fifth fifth session of this hadith and inshallah we will be completing it today since there's very little left and we will be completing it in order to recap allow me to quickly read through the hadith again. I won't read the Arabic, but I'll just provide a quick translation that will bring us up to the end of the hadith. So, وبالإسناد المتصل مني إلى الإمام البخاري رحمه الله قال حدثني عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال أخبرنا معمر عن أيوب السختياني عن كثير بن كثير بن المطلب ابن أبي وداعة يزيد أحدهما على الآخر عن سعيد بن جبير قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما I relate with an uninterrupted chain from me to Imam Bukhari رحمه الله who says Abdullah ibn Muhammad related to me that Abdul Razak related to us that Ma'mar informed us from Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani and Kathir ibn Kathir ibn al-Muttalib each of them adding more than the other from Sa'id ibn Jubayr, the Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma said. This is the synod of the hadith chain of transmission. And now we have the main text of the hadith. So I'll just quickly translate and then bring us up to date with the final part. Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma says that the first that women ever adopted the sash was from the mother of Ismail She took her sash so that she may conceal her traces from Sarah Then Ibrahim brought her and his son Ismail while she was still breastfeeding him until he placed both of them near the house by a large tree above Zimzim in the upper part of the masjid. And there was no one 
in those days in Mecca. And neither was there any water there. So he placed both of them there, and he placed by them a skin wherein there was water, sorry, a, a skin wherein there was dates and a skin wherein there was, a, there was water. Then Ibrahim السلام, returned, leaving, walking away. Or he turned around, walking away. Umm Ismail, the mother of Ismail السلام, followed him. And she said, O oh, Ibrahim, where are you going and leaving us in this valley wherein there is no human or anything? So she said this to him a few times. And he was not even turning to her. Then she said to him, has Allah commanded you to do this? He said, yes. She replied, then he shall never allow us to perish. She then returned. So Ibrahim salam walked, or he left, he proceeded, until he was by the Thaniya, the entrance of the valley, by the mountain pass, where they could not see him. So he turned facing the house, i.e. the house of Allah. Then he prayed with these words, and he raised his hands and said, رَبَّنَا إِنِّي أَسْكَنْتُ مِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِي this is the verse of the Quran. That, oh, our Lord, verily I have settled my, of members of my family in a valley, void of vegetation, close to your sacred house. رَبَّنَا لِيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ فَجْعَلْ أَفِذَةٍ مِّنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ وَرْزُقْهُمْ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَشْكُرُونَ Oh Allah, so that, meaning I've done this so that they may establish salah. So therefore cause the hearts of the people to flutter to them in love and provide to them of fruits in the hope that they may be grateful. And the mother of Ismail began breastfeeding Ismail and drinking of that water which Ibrahim left. Until when, that until when the water expired from the skin, she became thirsty and her son became thirsty. And she began looking at him. She began, she, she began looking at him, turning and twisting, or the narrator said, falling on the earth. So she walked away out of dislike of having to see this. Then she found Safa, the hillock of Safa, the closest hill or mountain on the land to her. So she ascended it and stood on it. Then she faced the valley, glancing. Could she see anyone? But she never saw anyone. So she descended from Safa until she reached the valley in between. Then she until when she reached the valley, she raised the edge of her cloth. And then she ran 
like the running of a desperate or exerting human until she crossed the valley. Then she arrived at the hillock of Marwa and she ascended it and stood on it. And she looked around, could she see anyone? But she saw no one. So she did this seven times. Ibn Abbas says, the Prophet said, so this is the running of the people between the hills of Safa and Marwa. She then climbed on Marwa. Then when she climbed on the hillock of Marwa, she heard a sound. So she said, shh, referring to herself. Then she listened carefully. So she heard the sound again. She said, addressing the sound, you have caused me to hear you. So if you have any aid, then come forth and assist me. So lo and behold, there was an angel by the location of Zimzim. So he rubbed the ground with his heel, or the narrator said with his wing, until the water appeared. So she, the mother of Ismail began began encircling the water and doing this with her hands. And she began scooping up the water into the water skin, whilst it continued to gush forth after her scooping up the water. Ibn Abbas says, the Prophet said, May Allah have mercy on the mother of Ismail. If only she had left Zamzam as it was, or the Prophet said, if only she had not scooped up the water from Zamzam, then Zamzam would have been a flowing spring. Ibn Abbas continues to say, she then drank and she gave her son to drink. Then the angel said to her, do not fear perishing, for verily here is the house of Allah which shall be built by this young lad and his father. And indeed, Allah does not cause his people to perish. And the house was raised from the ground like a mound. The floodwaters would come to it and take the right or the left of this mound. So she remained like this until a group of the tribe of Jurhum passed by her, or a clan of Jurhum coming from the path of Gada, name of a place. So they settled or camped in the lower part of Mecca and they saw a bird circling. So they said, indeed, this bird circles on water. And our memory of this valley is such that there's no water therein. So they sent one or two scouts, and they discovered the water. So they returned and informed them of the water. So they all came. Abdullah ibn Abbas says, they came whilst the mother of Ismail was by the water. So they said to her, do you grant us permission to settle by you or to descend and camp by you? She said, yes. But you shall have no rights over the water. They said yes. Ibn Abbas says that the Prophet said that this whole episode met the mother of Ismail at such a time that she was desiring 
or she was desirous of company. So they settled and they sent word to their families and brought them. So they also settled with them until when there were, until when there were a few clans of them in the valley of Mecca and the young lad reached maturity and youthfulness and he learnt Arabic from them and he endeared himself to them and he pleased them when he grew up. So when he reached of age, they married him to a woman from amongst them and the mother of Ismail passed away. Then Ibrahim came after Ismail had married. So Ibrahim came seeking his legacy or inquiring of his legacy. So he did not find Ismail so he asked his wife about him. So she said he has gone out hunting for us. So he asked her about their livelihood, about their condition. So she said we are in great distress. We are in difficulty. We are in severity. And thus she complained to him. Then when, so he said, Ibrahim said, when your husband comes, convey my greetings to him and say to him that he should change the threshold, the doorstep of his, hand, of his door. So when Ismail arrived, it was as though he sensed something. So he said, did anyone come to you? She said, yes, an old man such and such came to us. And he asked me about you, so I informed him. And he asked me, how was, our, how was our life? So I told him we were in great severity and difficulty. So he said, did, she, did he instruct you to do anything? She said, yes, he commanded me to convey his greetings to you and say to you that you should change the threshold of your door. So Ismail said, that is my father. And... He verily he has instructed me to separate from you. So join your family. And then he divorced her and married another woman from amongst them. Then Ibrahim stayed away from them for as long as Allah wished. Then he came to them afterwards, and again he did not find Ismail. So he visited his wife and he asked her about him so she said he has gone out hunting for us he said how are you and he asked her about their life and about their condition so she said we are in great good and great comfort and she praised Allah he then asked what's your food she replied meat he then said and what's your drink she said water he said, Oh Allah, bless them in the meat and in the water. The Prophet said, And at that time, they had no grain. Had they had grain, then he would have surely prayed for them in grain too. He then said, No one subsists exclusively on these two, meaning meat and water. Apart from Mecca, 
except that they do not agree with him. Ibrahim then said to her, when your husband comes, convey my greetings to him and instruct him to keep the threshold of his door. So when they came, so when Ismail came, he said, has anyone come to you? She said, yes, an old man of a very good appearance and state came to us and she praised him. He then asked me about you, so I informed him. He then asked me, how was our livelihood? So I told him that we are in great, we are in great blessing, great good. He said, did he command you to do anything? She replied, yes. He conveys his greetings to you and he instructs you that you should keep the threshold of your door. Ismail said, that is my father and you are the threshold and he has commanded me to retain you. This is where we ended last week and let me continue from here and explain further. Then Ibrahim remained away from them for as long as Allah wished. Then Ibrahim السلام, then, then he came after this whilst Ismail السلام, was sharpening a shaft beneath a large tree min zamzam, close to Zamzam. What this means is Again, Ibrahim السلام, he stayed away from them for some time, for a considerable time. And then he came again to visit his son. And when he arrived in Mecca, he went looking for Ismail and he found him where? Near a large tree. This was the same tree, the same dawha where he had left Ismail as a baby with the mother. And now on this journey, when he returns, he finds his child again at the same spot, but now sitting there sharpening nabl, a shaft, meaning the shaft of an arrow. The, like I said, the Arabs have names for most things at all its different stages. And even an arrow, from the moment it's cut from wood and then shaped and sharpened and the feathers are added, the spearhead or the arrowhead is added, then at each stage the Arabs have different names for the, the arrow. So the shaft of the arrow without the f feathers and without the arrowhead is known as nabl. So he was sharpening a shaft beneath the tree, the, the same large tree, قَرِيبًا min Zamzam, close to the well of Zamzam. فَلَمَّا قَامَ إِلَيْهِ So when Ismail السلام, saw him, his father, he rose to him respectfully. So they both did what a father does with his son, i.e. Embracing him, hugging him, showing him love and affection, even in his adulthood. 
والولد بالوالد as the son does with the father ثم قال again what this shows us is even though these were two prophets of Allah alayhim salam and each had their dignity and their position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but when meeting one another they still displayed that love that affection as the relationship between a father and son demands ثم قال يا اسماعيل then ibrahim alayhi salam said to him o ismail inna allah amarani bi amr verily allah has instructed me to do something qal ismail alayhi salam said fasna' ma amaraka rabbuk so do what your lord has commanded you to do This was the spirit and the mentality and the understanding of Ismail alayhi salam. He didn't know what Allah had told his father to do. And yet without hesitation, without even inquiring of his father as to what the commandment was, he said to him, <coughs> do what your lord commands you to do submission to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is exactly what ibrahim alayhi salam said to him when he saw the dream so allow me to take a break here and just take us back in this long hadith a number of journeys are mentioned that Ibrahim alayhi salam came to drop off his son and wife he then left he then returned at the time of after his wife had died and after his son had married then he returned returned again for the second well for another time to uh, speak to his son about his wife and then returned so these trips are mentioned One interesting question, well, one interesting question here is that did he only come these three times? No, he came more, obviously. How many times we do not know for sure. At least four times. Four five, well, five times. These three mentioned so far, the first three, the fourth one when he came on this last occasion, and when he also came to slaughter his son Ismail alayhi salam sounds a bit harsh but uh, when he came to sacrifice his son Ismail alayhi salam that was another occasion did he we know that from authentic narrations but did he come apart from this there are some reports that aren't very authentic but they are historical reports that Ibrahim alayhi salam would travel miraculously from the land of Palestine to Mecca but these aren't very authentic reports so let's suffice with what we know to be true which is that he came on these few occasions but the one occasion which has not been mentioned in this hadith of Bukhari is 
When he came, when his son was still young, but had grown up, but still in his early years, and he was fit and able enough to do his own thing. Ibrahim came to Mecca, met his son. Obviously, they would have greeted one another with great love and affection. And then, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cites in the Quran, that when Ismail, when this child, his firstborn, when he reached the age of running and striving with the father. When he came and met his son, who was still young, Ibrahim said to him, O oh my son, verily I see in a vision, in the dream, that I am slaughtering you. So tell me, what do you think? The words of the Quran, I'm translating literally. So tell me, what do you think? He said, Oh my father, do as you are commanded. You will find me, if Allah wills, from the patient and perseverant ones. Then when they both submitted to the command of Allah, father and son. Now obviously this is something which is extremely difficult for us to envisaged, visualized, to even imagine, to even comprehend. But this is how Allah describes it in the Qur'an. So there's a parallel here. Now the story, the parallel is here too. When he approached his son, met him, they both greeted one another with great love and affection. Then Ibrahim said to him, Oh my son, Allah has commanded me to do something. So what was the son's reply? Son says to the father, Oh father, do what Allah has commanded you to do. No hesitation. Immediate submission to the will and the command of Allah. This is, this is why Ibrahim salam was chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this whole story is very relevant because we are in the period of Hajj. And the story of Ibrahim and Ismail salam and the sacrificing of his son and their submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is again very apt and relevant for this period. For in a few weeks time we will all be celebrating Eid al-Adha. And this is what Eid al-Adha is all about. The 10th of Dhul-Hijjah is known as Yawm al-Nahr, the day of slaughter, the day of sacrifice, the day of slaughtering the animals. But all of these sacrifices, 
all of these adahi, all of these qurbanis. And some people have suggested that qurbani is a non, it's an Asian word, it's only to be found in Asian languages, qurbani. The truth is, that's actually taken from the Qur'an. So the word Qurban comes from the Holy Qur'an. And so all of these Qurbanis, all of these Adahi, all of these sacrifices, all of these are taking place on Yawm al-Nahr, the day of slaughter, as a reenactment and in commemoration of the sacrificing of the ram that Jibreel brought from the heavens as compensation for Ismail. But before that, why was this such a significant event? Why was this ram brought from the heavens? Why is there, is there this worldwide universal commemoration numbering millions throughout Islamic history till today and to continue forever? Why is there this huge commemoration of one act of willingness to sacrifice? The lesson for us is that the story of the willingness of the father to sacrifice his son, and what son, subhanAllah? He married. He continued to pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him a son, to give him a child. He waited, he waited, not a few months, but many, many years, and not just a few years, but decades, scores of years. And then finally, in the 86th year of his life, according to one narration, when Allah blessed him with Ismail alayhi salam, he has no opportunity to spend time with his son. Modern man enjoys paternity leave. Ibrahim alayhi salam waited scores of years, decades, for his child. When finally Allah blessed him with a child, his test was, his tests never ended. It was test after test. Waiting for a child is a test undoubtedly. We as humans, we are never happy as I was saying last week. Those who have children, sometimes in their anger and in their frustration, they curse the day the children were born. They don't curse the day they were conceived, they curse the day they were born. So they, <laughs> they curse the day they were born. That's in their anger and frustration. And those who don't have children, in their desperation, they run from pillar to post, praying, supplicating, seeking a cure, seeking all kinds of treatment. They weep, for they have no children. Those who have children, abandon them. Allahu Akbar. Those who don't have children, weep for them. 
Those who are married want to flee and be free. Those who aren't married pray for the punishment of marriage. So we are never happy. So waiting for a child is a severe test. Ask the, we may not appreciate it. Ask those who don't have children. I remember once in a gathering, there was a young man, one of my students, and I was casually speaking about children in the gathering. Well, it, it, it was a gathering of learning, but as part of the topic, it wasn't the main topic, but in passing, I made a few comments about children. Now, this young man, pray for him, he suffers from certain illnesses and a disability. And the doctor, I never knew this, but he suddenly stood up, he was sitting on a, in, a, in a chair, and he suddenly stood up on his crutches, and loudly sobbing, he left the hall. And it shocked everybody. I then, after the gathering had ended, I went to see him. And he, he, was, un, he was inconsolable, and he, was un, he never came back. So I went outside, and he was sitting in the corridor outside, on a chair, still sobbing. And a few people were trying to console him, but he was inconsolable. So then I took him to one side, and I said to him, I calmed him down, and I said to him, what happened? Was it something I said? And he said to me that it was when you started talking about children. He was a young man. He wasn't old. He was unmarried. You said, it was when you started talking about children. And he said, because I suffer from these illnesses and this disability, doctors have already told me that even if I get married, I have zero chance of having children because of my... Uh, disability, more than one actually, and my severe illness. He suffers from uh, one or two very rare conditions. So he said, it's not just now, but whenever anyone mentions children, or sometimes even when I see young children, the pain is excruciating. I cannot bear to watch, I cannot bear to stay, I cannot bear to hear. And he said, even though I must beg, he was begging for forgiveness because he said he was disrespectful of me, he was rude, but I could not contain myself. And as I said, he, despite his disability, he suddenly stood up and struggled out of the room on his crutches and weeping very, very loudly, sobbing inconsolably. So I just cite this as an example. Ask those who don't have children, or who Allah helped them, have already been told that they will never be able to have children. Waiting for children is a true test. Those of us who don't appreciate it, ask those who don't have children. So Ibrahim salam was a prophet of Allah, and he longed for a child. And the prophets of Allah salam, their reason for longing for children was never a worldly one. Theirs was a religious one. Even in their marriages, even in their families, they 
prayed for and longed for and wanted those things that would help them in fulfilling their mission of prophethood. So when they prayed for children, just like Zakaria prayed to Allah, when he prayed, Oh Allah, in the beginning of Surah Maryam, when he prayed to Allah for children, why did he pray? So that he could inherit my legacy, he could succeed me, and he could succeed the family of Ya'qub And what was the legacy of the prophets? What was the treasure of the prophets? If Rasulullah says in that famous hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad, Imam Abu Dawood, Imam Tirmidhi in their Sunan, and Ibn Majah, from Abu Darda radiyallahu that the Prophet said that indeed the ulama are the warathatul anbiya, they are the successors to the Prophets. وَإِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِينَارٌ وَلَا دِرْهَمًا وَإِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ فَمَنْ أَخْذَ بِهِ أَخْذَ بِحَظٍ وَافِرٍ That the scholars are the successors to the prophets. And the prophets do not bequeath dinar or dirham, gold sovereigns, gold coins or silver coins. They do not bequeath or leave behind a legacy of gold and silver. وَإِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ They only leave and bequeath knowledge. So whoever takes a share of that legacy of the prophets in terms of knowledge, then he has gained a great share indeed. So if this legacy of the prophets, even to the ummah, even to the scholars, who are the spiritual sons of the prophets of Allah, if that is not worldly and only religious and purely religious, then what can be said of the flesh and blood of the prophets of Allah? The legacy, the treasure that they inherit and that they succeed their forefathers in is the legacy of prophethood, is the legacy of, the, of messengership, it's the legacy of knowledge, it's the legacy of the mission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even in their prayers to Allah, whether it was Zakariya or whether it was Sayyidina Ibrahim their reason to praying for Allah whether it was our noble Prophet he longed for a child and he grieved his passing children, just as he grieved for Sayyidina, for Ibrahim for Maria Qibtiya and he prayed for children and the Quraysh would taunt him. They would say, he is without legacy, he is tailless. And this is the meaning of Surah Al-Kawthar. They would taunt him that Muhammad is without children because male children meant everything. And the Prophet had no male children, surviving male children. So they constantly taunted him. They would boast and say, we have ten sons. Walid ibn Mughira, the father of Khalid ibn al-Walid, and others 
They would boast of their strength, their numbers, their children, their clans. And they would taunt Rasulullah and say he is without children. And he only has daughters. Strangely, even, our, even in our own culture and tradition, it's sad. But it's like preference is given to boys over girls. And in clinics, fertility clinics throughout the world, approximately 75% of their clients, of couples who go to these fertility clinics to genetically improve their chances and to separate the possible, well, to separate the sperm, etc., and to try and induce a male pregnancy, 75% of the clients are Asian. And when I say Asian, I don't mean Far Eastern Asian, Asian as with the term we use in the UK, i.e. people from the Indian subcontinent. We suffer from this culture and this belief in our culture that boys are preferable to girls. This was the concept of jahiliyyah. This is what the Arabs believed in. This is what they practiced. And there are many things. There are many, many reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to bless couple with children, no children, male or female. Allah says, and it's a very powerful set of verses. لِلَّهِ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ يَخْلُقُ مَا يَشَاءُ يَهْبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ ذِنَاثَ وَيَهْبُ لِمَنْ يَشَاءُ الذُّكُورِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say, says, To Allah belongs a kingdom of the heavens and the earth. He creates what he wishes. He gives to whom he wills, girls. He gives to whom he wills, boys. Or he gives them couples of boys and girls, sets of boys and girls. And whomever wishes, whomever Allah wishes, Allah leaves them barren. So this is the will and the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of late, a lot of scientific research in statistics, they point to one thing, which is that they, and you can look up at this on this, they say fathers who are strong, strong of character, strong-willed, leaders, they generally tend to have girls and daughters. And, and they mention soldiers, basically macho men, have daughters. Leaders have daughters. So this idea that a man who has daughters wears the bangles in the house, it's false, it's the other way around. And these petty ideas shouldn't really concern us. I only mentioned that humorously. Otherwise, what better example is there than the prophets of Allah alayhi The prophet Lut alayhi salam. The prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
So this was a jibe and a taunt that was thrown at Rasulullah that he is tailless. Abdar means tailless. He has no tail. No one to succeed him. No one to come after him. And this hurt the Prophet And he grieved, not for worldly reasons, for their trust was in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But for religious reasons, he wanted children who would continue with his legacy. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, مَا كَانَ مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحْدٍ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not the father of any of the men amongst you. Rather, he is a messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets. So indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give him surviving male children. But what did Allah say? We've given you gawthar, good in abundance. So in gratitude and as part of your duty to Allah, you continue to pray, you continue to sacrifice. Don't worry. Your detractor is the tailless one. Those who oppose you, they are tailless. And even though the Prophet ﷺ never had surviving male children, from that day till today, until Yawm Al-Qiyamah, he will have billions and billions, trillions of children. The whole Ummah is a ransom to Rasulullah so the very not having a child is a true test. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tested Ibrahim alayhi salam. And he waited, he waited, he waited. Finally, when he was given a child, he didn't have time to, he didn't spend time with him. Allah told him, take him and his mother to the valley of Mecca. He delivered them. He returned. And then when Allah sends him back, he sends him not to play with him, but to sacrifice him. It's something which is beyond our comprehension. And what was, this is why this whole, is so relevant, because we will be slaughtering animals, we will be feasting on Yawm Al-Nahr, but for what purpose? We will be sacrificing animals. All of this is a commemoration of the sacrifice of Ibrahim Most importantly, as I've always said, these are the mere symbols, these are the mere appearances of religion. All of them have an inner dimension. So what's the inner dimension of sacrifice? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, That the flesh and the blood of these animals will not reach Allah. What will reach Allah is taqwa from you. This is symbolic. The idea of slaughtering an animal is symbolic. What does it symbolize? It symbolizes the, our willingness to sacrifice and to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just as Ibrahim and Ismail submitted. And what submission? They taught us a lesson in submission. Ibrahim said to his son, I see in a dream that I am slaughtering you. Son says, O father, do as Allah commands you. You will find me patient, perseverant. Here, Ibrahim meets his son after so long. He says to him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded me to do something. And the last time he said this to his son, what was it? He said, Allah has told me to sacrifice you. Now he tells him again, 
that Allah has told me to do something. Without pause, without hesitation, he says to him, Father, do what Allah tells you to. So, فَاسْنَعْ مَا أَمَرَكَ رَبُّكَ Do what your father commands, do what your Lord commands you. قال, Ibrahim السلام, then said to him, وَتُعِينُنِي Will you assist me? قال, and he said, yes, I will assist you. قال, he said, indeed, Allah has commanded me that I should build a house here. And then he pointed to a mound of earth which was elevated from the rest of the ground. Prophet then said, So then, at that time, they both raised the foundations of the house. So Ismail السلام, began bringing the stones what Ibrahim and Ibrahim السلام, was building. So he was the assistant, the apprentice. Until when the building rose, he, Ismail السلام, brought this. Stone. So he placed it for him. Ismail placed the stone for Ibrahim. So Ibrahim stood on it. And he continued to build at a higher level. And Ismail was handing him the bricks, the, the stones. And they were doing this. Father and son were building. Father was constructing. Ibrahim was the carrier of the bricks. And he was assisting him. And whilst they were both doing this, they were both praying. And then this is a verse of the Qur'an. But as often happens in the hadith, only part of the verse is mentioned. رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ O our Lord, accept from us. Verily, you are all hearing, all knowing. فَجَعَلَا قَالْ فَجَعَلَا So he said they both began. يَبْنِيَانْ continue, Continuing to build. حَتَّى يَدُورَا حَوْلَ الْبَيْتِ Until they circled around the house. وَهُمَا يَقُولَانَ And as they continued to build, they were praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ O our Lord, accept from us, verily you are all hearing, all knowing. Something to think about here, just on that verse, that both of them are carrying out the most noble task, building the house of Allah. And they are father and son. And this is why when one of the famous narrators of hadith, Wuhayb ibn al-Ward, he was a contemporary of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, one of the very early scholars who died in 153 after Hijrah. Uh, he was a contemporary of Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah. He's one of the famous narrators of hadith, Imam Muslim, rahimahullah, uh, well, he, he is mentioned in the narrations in Sahih Muslim, as well as in uh, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Nasi, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal's Musnad, etc. So, Wuhayb ibn al-Ward, a famous scholar of hadith and 
not just of hadith, but remember, the scholars of Islam, we shouldn't think of them that they were specialists in one area and ignorant in the rest. You could not be a scholar of hadith without being a scholar of the Qur'an. And to think about the fuqaha, the jurists, people like Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani, Imam Abu Yusuf, that they were just fuqaha, they were just jurists, i.e. to suggest that therefore they were ignorant of the Qur'an or the Hadith, as is often said about them, such a statement is ignorance in itself. They could not have been fuqaha and jurists without being masters of the Holy Qur'an and the Hadith. So anyway, Wahib ibn al-Ward, this famous scholar, he would say of this verse, when reciting it, he would say, as though he's addressing Ibrahim alayhi salam, he would say, may Allah have mercy on you. In admiration, he would say, may Allah have mercy on you. O best friend of Allah, O Khalil of Rahman, you are building the house of Allah, and yet you are still fearful that Allah will not accept your deeds. SubhanAllah. That father and son are building the house of Allah and they are fearful that Allah won't accept their sacrifice, Allah won't accept their deeds. Just as Allah says in Surah Al-Mu'minun, Those who give what they do give, whilst their hearts are fearful, trembling in fear, trembling in fear. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, she asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about this verse. She said, Ya Rasulullah, does this verse mean that those who give what they give, meaning of their deeds? So even Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, she did not fully understand the verse. SubhanAllah. She was the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. She was extremely eloquent. She was someone well-versed in poetry. In fact, she, she was so educated that she was well-versed in medicine, in poetry, in the Arabic language, in hadith. We have over 2,000 hadith related from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. And she was extremely eloquent. The Prophet ﷺ used to say of her and of her eloquence, well, after all, she is the daughter of Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr was a scholar of the Ansab lineages and genealogy. So, being the daughter of Abu Bakr, she was a poetess, she was extremely eloquent. And yet, even she could not understand the Holy Qur'an or certain verses without recourse to Rasulullah So she said to him, O Messenger of Allah, does this verse mean those who commit sins, but they are still fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that they commit sins, but they are still fearful of Allah. So there's some good in them, but they, in their weakness, they commit sins, but at the same time, they are fearful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She thought that's what the verse means. 
So the Prophet said to her, No, O daughter of Abu Bakr, this isn't the meaning. The meaning is those who pray and who give in charity and who do good deeds, but their hearts are trembling in fear that Allah will not accept their deeds. That's the meaning of the verse. So these are the true believers, these are the sincere ones who pray, who give in charity, who do good deeds. And whilst doing their good deeds, their hearts tremble in fear, they remain apprehensive that will, in their humility, that will Allah accept these deeds from us. SubhanAllah. Where are we from that? We sin without fearing Allah. And the true believers of Allah perform good deeds whilst fearing that Allah will not accept their deeds. Ibrahim salam, as Wahib ibn al-Ward said, May Allah have mercy on you, O Khalil of Rahman, O friend, dear friend of Allah, that you are building the house of Allah, and yet you are fearful that Allah will not accept your building of the Kaaba. That both father and son are laying brick upon brick and continuously praying, Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sami'ul alim. O our Lord, accept from us. Verily, you are all hearing, all knowing. So they continued to pray these verses. This is whilst building the Kaaba. This is where the hadith ends. Now, before uh, we finish, I'd just like to say that I have not gone into the history, apart from what's very clear in the hadith, I have not gone into the history of the building of the Kaaba. And many questions undoubtedly remain unanswered. When was the Kaaba first built? Was it Ibrahim salam, or was it from the time of Adam salam, Or was it the angels? And what's the meaning of the verse in that verily the first house to be established on earth for the guidance of mankind as a blessed house and as a guidance for mankind is the one surely in Bakka, meaning the valley of Bakka, a variation of the word Mecca. So what's the meaning of that verse? Was it the first structure on earth? Or not. So when was a Kaaba built? And when was it rebuilt? And what was the shape of the Kaaba, the structure? Is it as we see it now, etc.? What were the phases that it went through? So I haven't answered any of these questions because it requires some detail and I thought that I would devote a session entirely to the virtues and history of the Kaaba and another session entirely to the virtues and the history of the water of Zimzum and, its, and the well. So, because even that disappeared and then was dug up again and discovered by the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, I will devote two separate sessions to each of these topics, inshallah, next week and the week after. But we end with the hadith here. Allow me to just explain these final verses uh, that are mentioned when Ibrahim salam, and Ismail salam, were raising the Kaaba. This was only part of their dua. Their full dua was, 
as Allah says in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَاعِيلِ رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ رَبَّنَا وَجْعَلْنَا مُسْلِمَيْنَ لَكَ وَمِنْ ذُرِّيَّتِنَا أُمَّةً مُسْلِمَةً لَكَ وَأَرِنَا مَنَاسِكَنَا وَتُبْ عَلَيْنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ رَبَّنَا وَبْعَثْ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْهُمْ يَتْلُو عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِكَ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Allah says remember when Ibrahim was raising the foundations of the house both of them saying Rabbana oh our lord Except from us, verily, you are all hearing, all knowing. And, O oh, our Lord, make us ones to submit to you. Make us Muslims, meaning the two of us. Father and was saying, O oh, Allah, make us both Muslim. And what's the meaning of Muslim? Here, in other verses of the Quran, in the verses which I've just mentioned, فَلَمَّا when they both submitted. Islam means submission. So make us those who submit to you. And not just us. And from our children, from our progeny, from our future generations, create and raise a nation that submits to you. And show us our rites and rituals of pilgrimage. And Relent to us, turn to us in, accept, in mercy and in accepting. Verily, you are the one who relents and is off turning to his servants, all merciful. Then, a prayer for a messenger. O oh, our Lord, raise from our future children, Rasulam minhum, a messenger from themselves, who will recite to them your verses. And teach them the book and wisdom. And nurture them. Verily you are the one who is almighty, all wise. That was a prayer for their future children. And for their, for a messenger from the children. There's a lesson, a great lesson in that too. See what they pray for. See what the dua of the Anbiya was, was. Always. They would not pray for the dunya. For themselves, they would pray for the hereafter. For their children, they would pray for the hereafter. And this is the condition of the true believers. The Quran teaches us. The prayers of the prophets teach us what should be our concern. Not only for ourselves, but even for our children. What do the believers say? Who are the believers that Allah praises in the Quran in Surah Al-Furqan? His servants, Ibadur Rahman, the servants of the most compassionate. Part of their prayer is, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنْ وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا O oh, our Lord, granters of our spouses and of our children, the coolness of the eyes. وَجْعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا and makers an example for those who have taqwa, a leader for those who have taqwa, meaning, what does, this, what does this verse teach us? Parents, the true believers are those who pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for their own guidance, that they can be a qudwa, an imam, a good example for their children. And that their children become good, 
so good that they are the coolness of their eyes. And the coolness of the eyes does not mean wealth, dunya. It means the coolness of the eyes as far as a hereafter is concerned. A true believer is pleased, just as the prophets were pleased, when their children followed in their footsteps. Otherwise, if we are only concerned about the dunya, then we may give our children dunya, but will they grow up to be the coolness of our eyes? Or will they grow up to be a curse? If we instill these values in our children, then they will grow up to be the coolness of our eyes. If we do not lead them along the path of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then we will have no one to blame but ourselves. In this culture, respect is fast disappearing. And this is not a minor thing. We are young now, many of us. Many of us are younger, some of us are older. But now the culture is such that there is no respect for parents. Even in their middle age, what will happen in their old age? Will they be shunted into... Old people's homes. I read a story many years ago. About, this was in, many, many years ago. In the US. There was a horrendous crime that took place. And the crime was that an elderly couple were battered to death in their wheelchairs. So not in bed, they were both in their wheelchairs and they were both severely beaten to death. Both, children, both elderly, extremely old, vulnerable, weak and disabled husband and wife, partners, they were both beaten to death in their wheelchairs. Obviously, the details of the whole crime were shocking. And do you know what was even, well, even more shocking? Eventually, the perpetrators of the crime were caught. And they happened to be the elderly couple's own son and daughter with their friends who had, gang who had all become part of a plot to kill their parents in order to claim their life insurance. And then for me, what was extremely shocking and would be for all of us, is that the elderly couple and their children were Muslim. This is what dunya does to us. As I mentioned last week and before, the Quraysh in their jahiliyyah respected their parents more than some of us respect our parents in Islam. Now we have a duty to instill these values in our children 
we will witness the curse of the children, not in the Akhirah, but even before the Akhirah in the dunya in our old age. Not just in our old age, even in our middle age. Now it's, it's become all a, it's become very humorous. You'll see this label or this uh, quippy quote saying that, be kind to your children because they will be the ones who will choose your retirement home. So, the, par- the, the prophets of Allah, just like the true be- believers of Allah, as Allah mentions in the Quran, they prayed for themselves that they would be a good example and for their children. Just as in that verse of Surah Al Furqan, which I've read, that this is what the believers pray for, this is what Ibrahim prayed for. Oh Allah, make us Muslim, meaning Ibrahim, make me Muslim, Ismail, make me Muslim, السلام, and make our children Muslims for you, to you. And then, not only that, but from our future children, raise a messenger from them. Long afterwards, they are still worrying about the future generations of their progeny and children, that let, there be, let them be guided, raise a messenger from them. And who was that messenger? What a prophet. The Prophet Muhammad This is why Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal relates a hadith in his Musnad, and so do others. From a number of companions, radiyallahu anhum, including Abu Umama al-Bahili and al-Irbad ibn Sariyah, radiyallahu anhum, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that this is a general meaning of uh, the hadith from all of these companions, that I am, or the beginning of my affair was, da'watu Abi Ibrahim, wa bushra Isa, that I am the prayer of my father Ibrahim and the glad tidings of my br- uh, the glad tidings of the prophet Isa, and a dream that my mother saw when she conceived me, that from her stomach a light shone that engulfed the palaces of Sham. So I am the prayer of my father Ibrahim and the glad tidings of Isa. And what was that glad tiding? As Allah mentions in Surah Al-Saf, وَإِذْ قَالَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيَّ مِنَ التَّوْرَاهِ وَمُبَشِّرًا بِرَسُولٍ يَأْتِي مِنْ بَعْدِ اسْمُهُ أَحْمَدِ That, and remember when Isa ibn Maryam, Isa the son of Maryam said, O children of Israel, verily I am Allah's messenger to you. The Prophet Isa السلام, was not sent to the whole of mankind. He was sent specifically to his people. This is why he said, and remember, as Allah says, and remember when Isa, the son of Maryam, said, O Banu Israel, O children of Israel, Inni Rasulullahi ilaykum, I am Allah's messenger to you. And as is quoted in the Bible, go not the way of the Gentiles, but rather unto the lost sheep of Israel. The words of Isa, السلام, as quoted in the Bible as we have it today, Go not the way of the Gentiles, but rather unto the lost sheep of Israel. Meaning he was a messenger sent to Banu Israel and only to Banu Israel. He was never sent as a universal messenger to all the peoples of the world. So Allah says, remember when Isa the son of Banu said, O Banu Israel, verily I am Allah's messenger to you. I come to affirm the Torah that came before me. And I come 
to give you as a bearer of glad tidings, of a messenger who shall come after me, whose name is Ahmed. And this is the one place in the Quran where the Prophet ﷺ is only mentioned by name five times. Four times as Muhammad, and here once as Ahmed. And as I've explained in detail before, the meaning is Muhammad, the one who is the most praised. And Ahmed, Muhammad, the one who is the most praised in the whole of creation. And Ahmed, the one who of the whole of creation is the most praising of the Creator. And that's our Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, full of praise. He is Muhammad and Ahmed. Praised the most by everyone, including by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he is the one who praises Allah the most. What can a few cartoons or a few disparaging poems do to the honor and the dignity of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed him in such a manner? And the whole ummah is his fida, is his ransom. So what a messenger that Ibrahim alayhi salam prayed for, that I am, he said, the prayer of my father, uh, Ibrahim, and I am the glad tidings of Isa. And contrary to Isa alayhi salam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, some may assume that Ibrahim alayhi salam said, raise from amongst them a messenger to them. Or a messenger, raise amongst them a messenger from them. That did he only come for the Arabs? Some people have suggested that the prophets only came for the Arabs. No, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ إِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَيْكُمْ جَمِيعًا الَّذِي لَهُ مُلْكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا هُوَ يُحْيِي وَيُمِيتِ فَآمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ النَّبِيِّ الْأُمِّيِّ الَّذِي يُؤْمِنُ بِاللَّهِ وَكَلِمَاتِهِ وَاتَّبِعُوهُ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَهْتَدُونَ Allah says, commanding the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, say that, O mankind, O people, verily I am Allah's Messenger to all of you. And the verse continues, and it tells us, follow him, believe in him, follow him, in the hope that you may find guidance. So he was a glad tiding of his brother Isa alayhi salam, and he was the result of a dream seen by his mother when she conceived him. That a light shone from her, which engulfed even the palaces of Sham. Of course, people did not understand just as the munafiqun, the hypocrites, did not understand when in the trench the Prophet ﷺ was called the Sahaba radiallahu anhu were trying to dig a boulder and they couldn't break it. So they called the Prophet ﷺ. Long story, he struck the boulder once, a light emitted, shining, blinding light. And then the Sahaba radiallahu anhu exclaimed, Allahu Akbar. And then a second one, a second piece broke off, Allah, again, a light shining, Allahu Akbar, and then finally the whole boulder crumbled. Then the Prophet, sallallahu, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, imagine the scene, he's covered in dust. He has a pickaxe in his hand. The boulder lies crushed before him. Some of the Sahaba are with him in the trench, and there's a whole horde and multitude of people on both sides of the trench above, and they're all staring down. And amongst them are the hypocrites. And the Prophet ﷺ, while standing there, says that when I struck the boulder, a light shone, and in it, 
I saw the palaces of Rafshan. Another light shone, and in it I saw the palaces of Persia. And then he mentioned the third, referring to Yemen and Africa. So the Quraysh, sorry, the hypocrites, they snarled and walked away in disgust and began muttering that we are so, it's so cold, it's, we are so fearful, we are under siege, and we are living in such fear and under such a siege that one of us can't go out even to answer the call of nature for the fear of being killed. And here stands Muhammad promising us the palaces of Rome and Persia. So they never understood. And Allah did not want that for his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That's why before any wealth flowed into the coffers of Medina, before the palaces were conquered, before the royal courts were received, before the treasures were received, before the dunya was brought to Medina, Allah took his messenger away. But it was not befitting him, Allahu Akbar. It was not befitting him. So the Quraysh didn't understand. Word spread when his mother saw this dream, but the Quraysh didn't understand. Neither did the hypocrites understand. But we understand. So this was, he was the dream that his mother saw. So what a messenger did Allah raise as an answer to the dua of Sayyidina Ibrahim alayhi salam. Therein is a great lesson for all of us and Allah ends that section by saying, وَلَقَدْ اسْتَفَيْنَاهُ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَإِنَّهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ الْمَنِ الصَّالِحِينَ إِذْ قَالَ لَهُ رَبُّهُ أَسْلِمْ قَالَ أَسْلَمْتُ لِرَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ This is the message from the whole story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. A beautiful verse to end with. Allah says after the dua of Ibrahim in this set of verses in the Qur'an, and who will turn away from the tradition of Ibrahim, from the religion of Ibrahim, except one who makes a fool of himself. And verily, we selected him in the dunya, and in the hereafter, he is one of the pious. When his Lord said to him, Aslim, submit. And he said, Aslamtu li rabbil alameen. I have submitted to the Lord of the worlds. That is the legacy of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, submission. And he is the one who named us Muslims. This is the meaning of being Muslim. This is the meaning of Islam. And those who are true Muslims, those who truly submit to Allah, just as Ibrahim and Ismail salam did, Allah will honor them in the dunya and in the akhirah. And they shall be in the company of the prophets of Allah. May Allah make us amongst them. I end with this. Wasallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-377 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alkotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.